Hello and welcome to another adventurous, adventurous episode of Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman. Now, we're not really going to talk about rock and roll today, but we are going to talk about penguins. Yes, sir. I'm your host, Pat Canavan, and I'm in conversation with Tony Wanamaker. Thank you, Pat. Awesome. Now, Tony, one of our sponsors, is giving away a card for a great amount of value in their store. And Tony, yeah. how has Henry's helped us out in the podcast? Well, it will quickly, a quick shot, uh, cut to the wide shot, and we'll see a lot of the architecture. So we're using LED lights, right? Big output, great for the economy, uh, <laughs> great for the environment as well. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so you see a lot of this equipment here. You see the tripods, the cameras. We're working with great cameras, the uh, Canon R6s, right? Fab fabulous 4K. Uh, and a lot of the other production minutiae you can find at Henry's. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic for us. Wonderful. Yeah. So how much are we giving away? That'd be $100. $100 gift card. Yeah. It's absolutely true. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into our contest. This only happens when you sign up to the VIP list at cornrc.com, confessions of a rock and roll cameraman.com. Now, Tony, you, you rock stars, astronauts, sharks. Yeah, cool. Penguins. Yeah, man. Tell me, who hired you to go down to Antarctica? to film penguins. How did you get there? Well, we went with our friends, Quack. Quack, Quack. Expedition. Quack! <laughs> Sorry. And I love those guys. They are the best in the business. They, there's, a, there's a company that sails to the Arctic and they sail to Antarctica. Okay. Yeah. And it's not like your cruise, and I love cruises, man. They're fantastic, by the way. Uh, this is an expedition type of cruise. So we have uh, lots of scientists on board. Uh, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm going down there in an ice vessel, right? So it's got a reinforced hull, huge engines, right? It has a certain ice rating to get through Antarctic waters. Right. And uh, we're also, Pat, going down with uh, a couple that <laughs> of people who are related to the heroic age of, of, of Antarctica polar exploration, which is amazing. So the descendant of Shackleton and the descendant of Scott. You're yeah. kidding me. Yeah. On the same boat. Well, on the same boat. But today's agenda, which was amazing, because a lot of the times when you travel to great parts of the world, and don't forget, this is terra incognita, right? This is a mysterious seventh continent, right? So a very cool place to be in your life. Uh, rare, rare that a lot of people go there. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. What time of year is it? Like, when did you go? Yeah, so fortunately, the best time, and let me take this off, it's getting kind of hot. Just quickly, if I may. Yeah, let's so talk I, about this. So yeah, this is what I would wear on a daily excursion, okay? So I have my uh, my inflatable, right, life preserver. And I love, this is my favorite one because... Uh, I don't have to pull the pin to afford it to uh, to inflate. I just have to fall in the water, and the little tab here dissolves, and finally it does it itself. So if I'm knocked out, it, it'll lift me up out of the water. Oh! So I have this, and this is important because every time you get out of a zodiac, you got to rush up on top of the shore in case uh, nearby one of the ice shelves is caving, and then they cause a tidal wave, and you could be taken with that. So. So we wear these, great, lots of pockets, highly reflective. Makes sense, right? You're on a boat and you're looking for people, right? Sure. Okay, because uh, uh, Mother Antarctica is lovely, pristine, but boy, boy, she can get nasty in a hurry if she's got an issue, right? So uh, you got to be prepared for the worst element and enjoy the best to, uh, that you can. And was that warm enough for you oh, to be in, in Antarctica? This was the nice top layer. Way back in the day in the military, one of the rubrics we learned was... Uh, uh, 
loose and layered clothing and so I wear a lot of loose and layered clothing as you heat up you can take a shell off and so it's a lot like you go shopping at uh, your mountain outfitting store right you're gonna get layers and maybe materials that'll breathe really well if you're sweating so it makes a lot of sense oh sure yeah yeah because you yeah. don't want to get you certainly don't want to get wet underneath there 100% no because you'll get yeah. hypothermia yeah yeah so again let's get back to what time of year does somebody go to antarctica when do you visit let's have a quick little orientation so you love this ancient globe okay it has no bearing what any continent looks like but we know it's a, a globe a <laughs> sphere all right so we're going to split the earth in half right so right here's the equator that's considered zero right on a map right and so it's zero to 90 that's the northern hemisphere this is the southern hemisphere okay and that's zero to 90 down here uh, Rhonda, my wife, and who works with me in documentaries, we ended up actually going right around here, 86, which is pretty deep in the Antarctica. So, I see. what does that mean? Cool phenomenon happens yearly. The Earth is doing this wobble, you can call it, but scientists call it precession. And what happens yeah. when you have sunlight shining here, like this key light here, when it's like this, it's summer. And when it's like this, for these folks up here, it's winter, it's summer down here. So, I'm down here in November, okay, November, December which is the ideal time to visit Antarctica, okay? Because <laughs> when it's summer here in July and you're enjoying the heat or, or maybe upset with the humidity, uh, it's freezing down there. I see. Yeah. So this is your, like, like a pre-Christmas type of thing? It's, <laughs> it's their thaw? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. So yeah. It's, it's, yeah, they're thawing out down there and, yeah. and that makes yeah. it more safe. Yeah. yeah. Now, well, speaking of thawing out, I'm just gonna get Elizabeth to give a close-up shot on this, Pat. This is called an tablature ice flow, and this is what uh, breaks off every now and then from Antarctica. Okay. And we ended up traveling to the Antarctic uh, Peninsula, and why that's unique because close to us, and folks, look, uh, Google it and look on your maps, is the Lars Larsen Ice Shelf, and that's important because that's become the uh, the sort of a uh, the canary in the mine for us and for environmentalists, and we're really watching that as that is that ice shelf is is melting. Yeah. And to put it in perspective. Uh, at the polar ice cap, there's at least uh, 10,000 feet of snow, which is equivalent to nine meters rise in the sea level if it melts. So uh, you can imagine the devastation if, if, if we were to melt so we have a rise in just one foot. Okay. Yeah. So you, you might run into those. Oh, yeah. They're floating there all the time. All What's the really time. cool. And they're dangerous for you. They're very dangerous, but... That notion is a race once you see the cute little penguins on this. And I used to find a lot of Adelis on one of these uh, uh, tablatures. Oh. They're going by you, squawking, doing their thing. Yeah. Cute. Interesting. Yeah. Well, before we get knee deep into penguins, I want to know, like, what does it take to get down there? Like, you don't, you're not hopping on a plane here in Toronto and then ending up in Antarctica Airport. Yeah, and I'm a bit of a mariner, so I was really interested in all the nostalgia about uh, maritime history. Okay. Because don't forget, Antarctica wasn't even discovered. It was considered uh, terra incognita. It was a land that wasn't discovered yet, right? Yeah. And so we constantly make, just like we're exploring uh, the heavens right now with the moon and ultimately on the Mars, because at the beginning of the 20th century, traveling to Antarctica was like traveling to Mars. And so we fly down modern, man, on a really great jet, great meal. We first go to Chile, Chile to uh, to uh, uh, Buenos Aires, and from Buenos Aires to Ushuaia, which is cool because that's in a neat place called Tierra del Fuego, the land of fire, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, at the bottom of Patagonia. So it's cool because you get to go down the Beagle Channel before you come into the South Atlantic, and everybody knows our friend Charles Darwin, right? Cool. Very cool. And then you took a boat? 
Yes, and uh, <laughs> Pat, the irony is, uh, I'm a sailor. I used to have a sailboat, 23-foot sailboat, sailed all the time. I get As soon as I get my first hit after I, I round, uh, is it Cape Horn? As uh, soon as I round that, I get hit with the first big Atlantic waves. I'm sick every day. For the next 17 days, I vomit every morning. Oh! Yeah, and I think I'm saying it right. Forgive me, folks. I'm on Dramadin, right? So I have to take that. And the doctor says to me, he says, wow, at the third day, he says, you got to be careful. I think you're getting addicted to this. And I said, wow, stand in line. <laughs> <laughs> how many people were sick? How, like, how many people were sick? Yeah. like uh, It's hard to say. You know, there's a little thing back here that keeps us regulated called your vestibular, right? And mine was just going, woo, and I couldn't keep it together. Yeah. But that said, we were crossing the most dangerous seas in the world, folks, called the Drake Passage. And it's right at the bottom. Take a look again at the map at the bottom of South America. What happens is you get influences right from Pacific, Atlantic, and what's it called? The circumpolar waters that go around, freezing around Antarctica all the time. So they all mix. They call it the washing machine for a reason. Yeah. Okay, why, why do they call it the washing well, machine? Because you get these massive swells and you might be able to show a clip or two what happens in bad weather. Uh, stuff is strewn everywhere. On a boat, you learn one thing. Two things you learn. One hand, right, in your pocket, and the other hand, always on the boat. You always got to be holding. And so the, the group before us were sick, tossed all around, poor folks, right sick every day. Uh, mine was motion, uh, motion sickness, right? We had favorable seas, thank goodness. Uh, but a couple of uh, interesting nights where I wouldn't look out of the porthole that the waves were so high and my equipment on the right side of the room, it was on the left side and vice versa. Well, this is fascinating because you <laughs> yeah. are a scuba diver. Yeah, like, man. You're, you're a water dude. And I hear us, I'm sick, 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 sick. I just wow. wasn't ready for that maybe slow motion roll. Well, how was, how was Rhonda? Fine. Really? Yep. Oh, yep. Terrific. Yep. Yoko's always fine. Amazing. Always finds a way. Well, that's fantastic. All right, so then you get down, you've taken a ship down to Antarctica. Where do you land? Yes. And let's just start. We're like, where do you land? Pat, fair enough. But uh, the preamble to that is a couple of visits, and everybody's familiar with the Falkland Wars. You probably recall the British War with Argentina in 82. Yeah. So we ended up in the Falkland, War, uh, Falkland Islands, which is like a little British hamlet in the middle of the South Atlantic Sea. Freakish, man. But coming to there, we start hitting ports of call, and that's where we start coming in to contact with penguins because this is where they habitate, right? And uh, so we stopped in two places that were unique, uh, Falkland Islands and South Georgia. And South so, Georgia was wild, Pat, because it took me right back to Herman Melville, Moby Dick, man. This took me right back into the golden age of whaling, right, which was at the uh, middle of the 19th century. Yeah, yeah. What was there? Uh, relics, ghosts of the past, machinery that suggested whaling in a massive operation at that time. Wow, yeah. and, and just abandoned. Just abandoned, electricity. Click, flick of a switch. Our technology changes because people were whaling a lot there, Pat, because of, especially the, they call it spermaceti, which is in the head of the bulbous sperm whales. Okay. And Moby Dick eulogized that, that idea of the big sperm whale. But in here, they used to actually stick kids through the blowhole. They used to scrape the insides off because that material was perfect for making candles. And they were the best candles, the best burning candles. So when England, back in the day, wanted to cut down on crime because they wanted to light the city at night, they were using these type of candles. Yeah, wow. Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, wild, eh? That's, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Were there And were there penguins there? 
Yeah, that's where we first ran into them. And now I'm starting to see, and, 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 I, and I don't know all the species, and I'll talk that I had the chance. I was working with a penguinologist. How often do you work with a penguinologist, right? But he was lovely. What a tour guide, because his insight was amazing. Mm-hmm. And he, he's one of those guys you can appreciate to manage to take science and break it down so like somebody like me can understand it, right? So that was great. But Pat, we ran into uh, the Adelis, and uh, folks, you're going to love this. Uh, my wife and I actually ended up, we're shooting a documentary, as you know there, and we got nominated, right, for the uh, best cinematography in a, in a web series. Here it is in 2015 for that film. And Pat's going to run some of that, and you'll get a chance to see some of these cool penguins. And we love to teach seminars at grade school. And the little people, our little friends, love the rock hopper, so you're going to see that. Okay. Yeah. So these penguins, yeah. now, are, are they on Georgia Island, or are they on Antarctica? We're seeing them all throughout. All throughout, oh. but I'm seeing a really large collection of a really cute penguin here, and this doesn't do it justice. But we'll cut to a better shot of the king penguin, right? And it's fascinating. It and this a, is on Georgia Island. This is South Georgia. Really, South yeah. Georgia Island. Yeah. Right. And I was stuck by it because I went in and I knew that there was rock hopper spotted, and it's really to see their ambulation, right? Like most penguins give us this indelible little, right? But these guys do a little hop at the same time. And then you get the uh, macaroni ones who have this wild, it, it looks like an old guy with really rainbow eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bizarre. Somebody in a masquerade maybe, I don't know. But uh, really endearing little fellas. And coming back, Pat, as I always blew, uh, blown away, I knew I couldn't get deep enough in Antarctica that we're going to see the emperor, right? The emperor is about, imagine something that's almost a little over a meter, about four feet high, right? Okay. The kings are about a meter. They have a beautiful plumage. You see some orange and yellow and black on black eyes and a gorgeous animal. I was so moved by the kings. So, <laughs> South Georgia Island, you leave there. Yes. And then you, you make your way down to... Whereabouts in Antarctica? Oh, okay. So uh, on the way in, we and we're going to talk about this in another episode. It's fantastic. We're going to stop at Elephant Island, and I'll explain that in another episode. But we continue in, and we're now going to trace the peninsula of Antarctica, and we make stops along the way. But prior to that, I was in a lovely place, unbelievable, and this is one of those indelible moments you never forget. Uh, sunshine is beautiful coming up. Yeah. I'm in a place called Fortune Bay. Good name, right? Sure. And while I'm there, there is a beautiful, a rookery, Pat. What's a rookery? A rookery is a penguinology for a collection of penguins, right? So you call it a colony or a rookery. Colony sounds a little too militant, and they look like they're cuddly little guys, so I like the rookery. Wow, uh, how many are, are in a rookery? Oh, we, <laughs> we ended up in a rookery in South Georgia. And the penguin also took me into the heart of it. 250,000 pairs of penguins were there. Now, Pat, that's a lot of penguin feces. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. So if you don't have any barn training, I'm from the county, kind of used to it, kind of not. Uh, that's a little pungent, man. Yeah. Well, these are things you don't even think yeah. about, right? Because no. they're so cute, cuddly, and whenever I've seen pictures... My nose still hurts when I hear that song, Penguin. Sorry. Well, I guess it's very, like, high, stingy kind of... Yeah, oh, high and stingy? That, that You just cued me on this the, the thought that what was fascinating, in, in that large group, yeah. a sea, so it's five times the size of the city, right, of penguins, right? And I'm looking out, and the penguinologist is telling me that here's something unique to the species. So... 
if one of their offspring who are walking around with a big old fur coats, right, and they okay. look like they're cheering in a 1930s ball game, right, with a little pendant, right, and just going and squawking and making their own fuss. Uh, if they're squawking, mom and dad can be miles away, whatever their auditory range is, and they can hear that distinct pitch unique to them. So in that group where all that's going on, and 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 I did some recording, see, there's a great shot here of a Gen 2 penguin coming down a hill, and folks, you got to hear that sound. It's amazing. They're calling out, communicating. It's distinct and unique to them. So the parents can hear the kids yes. very far away. You yes. know, I, I saw something like that with cheetahs in the wild, too. You know? Oh, really? Yeah, they yeah. survive uh, by chirping. Oh, because, yeah. Because, you know, the cheetahs can, as you know, can yes. take a big kill. Yes. But they can't drag it back to their pups. Yes. And yeah. so they chirp out, and then yeah. the pups hear and, and, and come to the... Which is a great way to to maintain camouflage and communicate without another predator taking your baby yeah. away. Right. Good and idea. so, yeah, yeah, this is... that. So penguins do the same thing. Yeah. The, the, the babies chirp out. Well, I guess all birds yeah. have that sort of inherent... Yeah, that would make sense. Sure. Yeah. Well, to, to that point, uh, the penguins, we know of their beautiful white plumage on the front and black, the tuxedo look, right? I mean, that's purposeful. I mean, that's by design, man. They call it counter shading. And the, and the reason for that, think about survivability again, right? So when a penguin is looking for, and the biomass they feed on down there, folks, is krill. We'll talk about that in a second. But when they're looking down into the Antarctic waters, right? Uh, the leopard seal, big predator, very dangerous, looking for the penguin. Whales, right? Uh, orca whales, man. You're kidding? So when they look up and they see the white against the sky, right, it confuses them. They're not sure if it's a target or not. Oh, so it's I a, see. Now, you're always thinking about survivability in, in Antarctica. So when your back is to the sun and it's black, you're absorbing heat. You're staying warm, right? So these things are working. The other uh, predator for the penguin from above is called this, this, the uh, skua. Skua uh, is a big bird, dangerous. Reminds you a little bit of our seagulls, uh, pissed off seagull. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But bigger. Yeah. But bigger and dangerous. Yeah, very dangerous. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So, yeah, because uh, there has to be predators, Yeah. you know, even though it's so harsh and cold a climate. I, I, and I wasn't, Pat, it was interesting because I was observing a lot of this and I was wondering how on earth, you constantly kind of thinking, how do you survive when we leave here? It's summertime in Antarctica. Still lots of snow, it can be cold, storms come in, but we're there. And I can't imagine what it'd be like there in July, which is our February, and how cold it is. And, and so that being said, who would walk outside and hang outside in your bare feet in February? Few of us would do that. Yeah. Penguins do that. And I was wondering how possible, how do they possibly do that? Apparently, they have a different type of circulatory system. So I guess ostensibly, they're alien, right? Sure. Right? That allows a huge blood flow to the feet, constantly warming their feet so they don't burn. Now, folks, if you get a chance, great documentary. Well, March of the Penguins. Watch that because they really delve into that. What do you mean so that they don't burn? Well, I mean, imagine, they're on ice, aren't they? They're on ice, but something that cold. Right, and if you've seen a March of the Penguins, they transfer an egg because because every now and then somebody's got to go fishing. We got to have food. Right, of course. And when they do that, they have to transfer the egg, and they do that meticulously over, and they have to lock their feet together, and they transfer the egg. Now, if the egg slips off the feet, as soon as it makes as soon as it makes contact with the ground, it's over. That's it. It's done. Done. Yeah. Amazing. The, so delicate, right? So when you're there, uh, it's warmer. Um, are they are they in the peak of their mating season? Like, what are you filming 
Oh, <clears throat> uh, okay. So I'm fascinated at the ambulation, really, in the colors. That's that's really my interest, right? I'm making a film for little people. I, I'm making a film called Pristine Antarctica because uh, I generally believe, and I've been very fortunate, Pat, as you know, I've been to every continent on the world. Uh, I've seen lots of natural habitats. So my argument is, is that we should continue this trend, folks, visiting animals in their natural habitat. So it's cool for a couple of things, conservation, right? And also think of the economy for countries like Kenya, Tanzania, offering safaris, for example, trips to Antarctica. The thing is you say, well, that's a lot of people heading south to check things out, but it's regulated. There's conservation practice. For example, Pat, you can't approach, you're not allowed to approach a penguin. They don't want you coming up to them. You oh, have to be okay. five meters away, minimum. Because yeah. of COVID? <laughs> that could very real be a possibility you know that you're saying sad but true that could be an issue right so you maintain distance because we don't want to contaminate it and they want to keep it pristine uh when, yeah let's talk let's talk about contaminants yeah <clears throat> right because you are yeah. right you're coming from uh a, a world that's mechanized and full of people and germs and whatnot you get down there what do you guys do to mitigate any impact on the environment well what i love is they really got sort of camping protocols and we all know this anybody who's camped in algonquin knows what you take in is what you take out so if you have a number two you better plan your day better right or you've got a task ahead of you uh, that's the issue uh, the other is they use antibacterial so that when we come back on board you have to clean your gear you have to clean your gear before you go every couple of days we're mustered to a station to vacuum all our stuff before we make another landing Right. Okay. So they're really, it's they're really on their part, uh, fantastic, uh, trying to maintain conservation uh, and also not disrupt the animals. There's always guides with you to tell you to pull back or keep a heads up. For example, the elephant seal is a massive creature who was mating. The and, elephant seal. Yeah, and, and and this guy was looking for his harem, and if you're in the way, you're crushed. Didn't matter. So Rhonda, always diligent, was always watching my flank. I was engrossed in shooting some scenes, and you'll see that come up, uh, to make sure that when this locomotive came from the water and making its way to, to beach, that it didn't kill me on the way. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> the other guys I had to watch for were the fur seals. These were like 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 uh, uh, in, in, in uh, incorrigible little dogs always barking at you, right? And okay. and if you did if you weren't careful, they'll finally sneak up and they will bite you, right? And so Rhonda would have to stand there like the scarecrow, right, in Wizard of Oz, and intimidate them. So the bigger the size and the yellow jacket, they would finally back off. But you had to hold the ground. And you'll see a shot where I'm lying on the ground, sneaking a shot, and a couple of guys are coming in. They, they, I think they're getting close to biting me before Rhonda came in and saved my ass. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's truly fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> now, these uh, penguins and whatnot—they're, you know, they're more eloquent in the in the uh, ocean eating oh, than they yes. are on land. Let me just ask you: Did you have to film okay. in the ocean? Did you did you have uh, to go in the water? Uh, I did, and I, I did by trick because no I know I because well, I told you really I don't like diving cold water. I I don't want to do you know dry suit ice dives. It's not my thing. It's just not where my head is. So I got around it. So what I did is I got this is called a fishbowl, folks. I use something like this, right? Okay. But, and this one is for audio. That's why that connector is there. But anyways, I used something like this, and I put a camera on the end of it. Okay. So I had a Zodiac driver, and then I popped this in the water, right? 
and I had this thing going down about uh, maybe nine feet. Okay. And this is great because take a look at the shot. You're going to see this, folks. I'm going under an iceberg, right? It's really neat. You're just going to see the undercarriage. When all of us know that nine tenths of an iceberg is underwater and a tenth is above, sure. you're going to see this phenomenon. The other thing with icebergs, you got to really be careful. You got to watch when you sail up them; they can cavitate any time. Sure, yeah, so I you heard know, about that. Right? Yeah, you never know. You could be right at that fulcrum point. So uh, coming up to it, I pop this in the water, and this is one of my favorite shots of all time. It's in the movie. Is when you see this thing coming up, breaking through the water, and it's breaking through beautiful sort of impressionistic colors and stuff, and then finally locking on the iceberg. Gorgeous, man, loved it. Wow. Yeah, equipment. This thing here too, folks, this thing here is called the slider pad. And what I do is I put a camera on here, perfect for DSLR, and I slide this thing across, okay? So if I wanted a cool foreground with our penguin, I put him here or her, and then I slide this camera in and out, nice foreground movement, and then maybe rack to that background. Uh, very cinematic practice. You see this a lot in movies, folks. They like to, to move it. Um, rather than get too much of the science of what that does to you psychologically when you see a movement like that, I'll tell you, have a look at the picture when I'm in Fortune Bay. And this is what I was talking about earlier with the Emperor. And the, emperor the Emperor Penguin? Yeah. So the King mm -hmm. Penguin. Sorry, Pat. King Penguin? My, my mistake. The King Penguins. And you'll see some beautiful, you'll see that uh, slider movement there. And then you'll see it again with the rock hoppers. And that's the first time, folks, that a slider's ever been used in Antarctica. Let yes. me ask you this, because that's that's yeah. really amazing. It's cool, cool, man. Uh, and and the only reason it, it, it's that way is because of modern design and yes. And well, I could carry this in my backpack. So now I've got this here, Pat. So I can make it. And there's only two of us. Don't forget, you don't got a little big. <laughs> we don't have a big footprint. There's only two people working and have to come up with a shot. So the other thing we do is we carry all our equipment and these things, Pelican cases, and I credit them because uh, shockproof, right? And it's waterproof. This falls out of the Zodiac. You can hook it and bring it back in. So it kind of even floats. It totally floats. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Now, how many cameras do you take down on a shoot like this? Because <sighs> space must be limited. Space is limited, so I have two bodies, right, and a number of lenses. And I'll, I, what I'll do is I'll send you a picture where you see, and Rhonda every night has the lenses, because every night you got to clean fronts and backs, we got a download material. We got a prep for the next day. Batteries charge, and we do three trips a day. I think Rhonda. Rhonda's just over here. Three trips a day, and the first one sometimes starts at five in the morning. Yeah, so we get very little sleep. It's like clockwork. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I would have liked to had five cameras, Pat. And now that I think, now that with that experience, I would have other ones lined up. But I always had two. I had a spare body. My main camera working. Actually, the camera shooting the wide shot is the one that shot the movie. Oh, really? That's the principal camera, yeah. Hey, Hello. wide shot. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, um, I only had one near miss, one breakdown. Had to sail all the way back to the ship, get the second body. I should have carried it that day. Didn't. Once I got it set up, that camera worked again. Amazing. Ghost in the machine, brother. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And I guess you charge everything on the ship. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 Yeah, because like, how do you keep maintaining power and things like that? I, mean, I, I, I went from nostalgic, romantic notions of exploration, the, the heroic age of, of, of polar exploration, and then I got on a four-star ship, and I had steak. I had, I think I had Orange Sherbet for, <laughs> for dessert, oh, and I had a great hot bath before I got ready for the next terrible day. Well, that's better than KFP, <laughs> Kentucky Fried Penguin. You know. Speaking of... What? Well, people oh, no. love that cuddly creature. They do. They do. Who doesn't love a cuddly creature? <laughs> and one of the guides was telling me, and this killed me. He said, this is probably the epitome of penguin affection, I would think. 
Unbelievable. So what happened was there was somebody on board one of the <laughs> one of the charters and said, okay. "Do not, do not come into my room. Please, do not come into my. Don't clean it." Okay. After a couple of days, the smell, the pungent smell that we've been smelling in self, right, South Georgia and Antarctica and the Falklands. It's like, what's going on? So finally, the ship's crew, they're adamant. They're going to open this door. Well, sure. What the heck? They open. It's covered with feces. And a, and a penguin's in there, right? And I went, this guy smuggled a penguin on the ship. And I got to wonder, Pat, because you saw the gear I had on earlier. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, you're going to hear, you folks have heard the sound of the penguin. Also, has a bit of a rustic kind of odor, right? And it's lovable, but it does. Uh, it's living, right? Yeah. And how could you not notice this thing moving around like two squirrels fighting under your yellow jacket? <laughs> and not call it. What kind of penguin was it? Do you remember? No, I have no idea what, what he picked up. Uh, maybe maybe it was the uh, king for the colors or the gen two because oh, it's easy. This is insane. <laughs> like where had you guys left already and, and we're heading back home or, or like what did you do? What no. happened to the penguin? Yeah, I have no idea. I, I really don't want to know, know the outcome other than the penguin was put back to where the penguin it, where the was family, right? Oh, God. Take me home. Right, free willy. Yeah, because right. I could, I can imagine when you say uh, the size what was it, two hundred and fifty thousand penguins yes. in one, yeah, in one yeah. rookery. Yeah, yeah, the aquatic bird, right? The bird, the flightless bird, right? That, yeah, that, that that flies actually under the ocean. Well, that's an amazing. Like it's a it's a community. Yeah, man. right. And yeah. you take one out. Well, of course they get eaten because of nature and you know leopard seals and 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 all of that. They get eaten. That's an ugly animal. I was I never saw a leopard seal. I kept looking for it. Terrifies me. It, it's like a skull with skin wrapped over it. Take a look at the picture, especially when it shows its teeth. Frightening, man. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Another reason I'm not going to dive there. So, you were down there with an amazing adventure, an amazing partner. You were there with your wife. Yes. You worked together. Yes. You were both uh, looking at penguins. How many, just before we go, how many types of penguins are there? Wow, that's, and, and I defer to our, <clears throat> our penguinologist. I, I have no idea. I saw probably uh, four species, right? So you, you guys shot four species? That's what I did, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. These are adventures. These are absolutely awesome, thrilling adventures. No one's getting killed. Yes. No one's getting hurt, you know. But they're true life living adventures. Nice things to experience, man. Nice things to share. Yeah, and I'm really glad to share them with you here. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into our contest. This only happens when you sign up to the VIP list at cornrc.com, confessions of a rock and roll cameraman.com. And we'll see you next time.